0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and today I'm digging my way back into Tales of. Last year, right around the time I started these podcasts, I was talking about Tales of Berseria, and I had mentioned at the time that I was working my way through Tales of Arise. And as I stated, before, Tales of Berseria was my favorite in the franchise, because it always felt like there was something a little off about the games. And it was mostly gameplay or presentation. Not so much story, but just the way it was presented. There was always some combat mechanic, or some character, or some low-fi visual styling that you always felt a little second-rate as far as Tales went, even though how popular the game franchise was, Berseria was the first time it felt like it spoke to me, had the right mix of characters, the right tone, that very just vicious, mean-spirited, we're controlling basically the bad guys or the anti-heroes, and the visuals weren't great, admittedly, but the characters really sold me on it, and at the time, I was working my way through Tales of Arise, and I was wondering when I would actually get around to a rise and how I would think of a rise compared to berseria so there are going to be a lot of comparisons I'll try not to harp on them but I will say this much tales of a rise for the first 80% of the game was on track to being better than berseria and then it wasn't That being said, it was still good enough that, of anything that I'd experienced, it was my second favorite Tales game. I've played stuff like Fantasia to its completion, watched footage of stuff like Symphonia off and on, Graces I got through. But of the ones that I've played, Berseria and Arise are kind of one and two. I wanted Arise to be the best. Because the things that it does, well, it does better than Berseria. But the things it struggled with near the end really soured me on the situation. So, again, keep it spoiler, I guess. Just be wary that there might be story story spoilers, but maybe not too much. But we'll start with plot and characters. So we'll go plot and characters together. To kind of go through what this goes into. Two warring factions from two different planets. uh, Donna and Reyna. So one of them is technologically advanced. The other sort of isn't. One of them gets taken over. And these are a lot of names and faces to places, pretty much. But Lenegus is this orbital satellite that's controlling things or is monitoring, surveying surveying things on Donna to Reyna and the people that we know are kind of subjugated the people of Donna are subjugated they're trying to fight their way through this bad situation they're basically like what Sector 7 slums would be to Shinra at this point So consider it kind of like that. There are resistance factions, you know, avalanche. So avalanche to Shinra. Resistance factions popping up everywhere, but they don't have the skill set, the technology, the manpower, at least as of yet. But in one of those cities known as Caliglia, or Calagia, I believe that's what it is, houses a man known as Iron Mask. He doesn't remember his name, doesn't remember his face, because it's covered up in a mask, but apparently he feels no pain. So even though he is a subservient person, he quickly decides to join up with someone named Zephyr in his campaign to get rid of a lord. And the best part about this game is its setup. The five lords. So the way that this is structured is there are five separate cities or regions. uh, Caliglia. It's just weird how it's pronounced. I want to say Caliglia, but I'm I'm wrong. Barren land, rocks, fire, boulders, just very desolate. Cislodia, very dark, very just medieval times, I guess. Just very basic, like basic JRPG Town 101, but in a darkened, snowy land. Elda Men- uh, Menencia, which is very well to do, very well off, very nice looking, technologically advanced, people are happy. We'll get to that in a minute. Moxar, left in the mountains, nice forested area, pretty well to do, probably better than anything other than Cislodia and Elden Menencia. And then ganath which nobody knows anything about except people are dead. And it's very stern and barren and not in the same way Kalidia is. It's just the dead zone, basically. It's very stiff and artificial looking. But those five lords running the joint are competing in what is known as the crown contest. It's been demanded that the thing on Reyna... And in Linicus, it wants something known as astral energy. So they get astral energy from emotions, from plants and animals, mostly humans. But you're generating it and you're supposed to generate it. And the person who generates the most becomes the king of the entire region for 10 years or so. So you're not only fighting against the humans that you're subjugating but you're trying to compete against the other lords who are these super powered people who are essentially our boss characters and Alphen is going around his merry way and he meets up with our characters so Alphen is voiced by Ray Chase who is uh, Noctis in Final Fantasy fifteen and he was in Bloodstained and many many other games so he is our Primary protagonist. Again, he's a guy who feels no pain, really no fear, just well to do, well meaning, and, you know, stands up for himself very well. He happens upon a woman named Shion emeris voiced by Erica Lindbeck. And Shion's whole thing is she's kind of like Rogue from the X Men, where she's got this weird thing of thorns around her body, which basically nobody can touch her, but she can't touch anybody else. But the thing about somebody who can't feel pain is they can't know when they're getting hurt, so they kind of forge a connection with each other. She a bitch about it, but just because she doesn't know, you know, companionship. So again, the rogue thing, the, the rogue situation, and it's not like Alfin hits on her like Gambit would. So don't expect him to be Gambit. You know, it'd be like if Rogue and Wol- like Rogue and Cyclops were to get together, a Rogue and Wolverine, I guess. You know, that sort of thing. I know I'm I'm basing it off a weird cliche, but run with it. But they get together, and they sort of form a connection. They stop the First Lord. They go to Cislodia. They meet up with Rinwell, who is voiced by Christine um, Cabanos, who was in Madoka Magica and other games like that. She's one of the only magic users in existence she's in Cislodia she's doing her own thing she's living there but her parents are dead she wants to know who did it and she ends up finding her events finding them event you know finding that person eventually in one of the other regions so they keep getting new people new people so you go from one region you go to the, the best part about the regions is they're you know five to ten hours in length and then you keep going and you keep going. So you keep getting new characters. And you end up getting six characters. So you got your three. You get Law, voiced by Bryce Papenbrook, in Sislodia as well. And then you get the final two in the third region. Uh, Dohalim Ilcarus, who's actually the leader of Elda Menencia. And Kisara, his aide. Uh, Dohalim's voiced by Griffin Poitou. Um, Poitou, I'm not sure I've heard him in anything, but I know I will remember him in this game because he's very distinctive he rules elda Menencia very nicely very justly and unlike everybody else in this crown contest he kind of doesn't care his story later on gets filled in but as far as we're concerned he's like the nicest lord we've met and he's joined by kisara his sort of second in command i suppose Uh, Caitlin Gult, who was in uh, Rising of the Shield Hero, is what I know her most from. So you've got your six characters, and you're going through these areas, and then they eventually take over Ganatharos. This is 30, 40 hours into the game, basically. They've liberated the world, and everything makes sense, and then something happens. For whatever reason, characters and bosses that have shown up one in particular it wasn't like the end of the game kind of what i was hoping was the end of the game in that fifth area then you tie up some other stuff nicely what ends up happening the best that i can tell is that they start throwing in alien stuff they start throwing in different scientific experiments and stuff and all this other stuff But they go about it in such a weird roundabout rushed fashion where Alfin and Shion are finally like exposed as characters like what their whole deal is like why Alfin is the way he is why Shion is the way they and why she is but they go about it in such a weird fucking way it's like they had the crown contest idea but then they went super scientific mumbo jumbo bullshit You know, Final Fantasy VII meets Final Fantasy IX in a Tales game. I don't know. The one thing I could say about Berseria was, yeah, you had some weird god bullshit, but god bullshit makes sense in a JRPG. As soon as you start doing weird pseudoscience spirit magician mumbo jumbo, but you don't allude to it throughout the remainder of the game, it starts really getting weird none of this is explained or if it is it is explained very badly and i'll tell you why later um one of the other aspects of tales is the is the skits and that's probably one of the main issues other than the ending is the, is the overuse of skits at the end of the game to try and kind of get the characters to understand what it is they're trying to talk i think it the wikipedia article much like Chronocross. And that's a good that's a good comparison, I suppose. A comparison to Chrono Cross is, I don't know what the fuck's going on, and I know there's a story there that they're trying to justify at the end, dumping a lot of story at me. I didn't get it. And you're supposed to tell me this is the big bad of everything that's going on and whatever. The last five or ten hours of the game really does a disservice to the simple yet effective storytelling they were doing in the first 80% of the game. Because Tales of Arise has this tendency of doing weird sci-fi bullshit. So they, they pull the Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IX card, but they do it very badly. Um, but how about the rest of the game? How about the battle system? Eh, Battle system's fine. It's unique as far as an action battle system goes. Um, again, a lot like every other game in existence after Dark Souls, dodge rolling and everything is is kind of the main way you avoid damage. Don't expect your AI to avoid damage for you because they're fucking tissue paper. So, my idea was to use on the whole time because she is the healer in the group. You can use uh, Dohalim, I think, as a secondary healer too. He's more of a support mage. Um, but Sheon is the healer and magic user of the game, and he, she's long range and she tends to stay out of damage more than anybody else so i used her primarily yeah you can use alfin and you know because again the the benefit of every character is they feel distinct and that really goes into their arts and their boost mechanic so Tails has used arts which is basically techniques that they would use and you have your magic you have your attacks you have support buffs and all this shit you have a skill tree in which you develop those what they added in for this game was something known as boost attacks and boost strikes. So, after certain people do damage or if they're on a cooldown outside the party, you'll get an icon on the side of the screen that says, "Let me do a thing." If you see a character doing a spe- if you see an enemy doing a certain thing. There's like 10 or 12 different types of enemy types and almost like Final Fantasy uh Final Fantasy 10 a certain character has an affinity to break a certain mechanic. So a heavy user would be broken down by Law's attack or somebody super fast, you know, Doholim would slow them down with some vines or some shit. Or if you need to defend against some crazy big attack, Kisara just jumps into the fray and then uses her her fucking shield and just stands there and tanks the damage. Um, So everybody has their own unique boost mechanic. So along with their arts and their mystic arts, they have their boost attacks. And I wish I'd known how effective the boost attack things were to the whole game. Otherwise, I would have buffed those more than the arts. But still, they are useful, but they don't break the game. It's just useful to use them, especially when you're trying to defeat enemies, because you'd have, like, special finishing moves known as boost strikes. And each character would have kind of an interplay with each other, and you'll get to know them a lot but they're they're nice and they're effective and you know crazy looking spells and i think one of the cool things along with tales focusing less on a line mechanic which is what they were known for for about 10 or 15 years in the last two games maybe maybe stuff like zysteria i did not play that one but i know in berseria in particular they started focusing on free from free-flowing movement around the battlefield in, you know, the circular area you were given, you were given free reign to move and to change characters and at least have a little bit more of a hack and slash and hearsay rather than, oh, you're in a line, you can only move in this line and do this thing. And, you know, the line mechanic was cool, but it was very restrictive and it felt stiff. Arise doesn't have that problem. And once you get to grips with the boost attacks and what they do and how to how to deal with your AI being stupid and trying to heal them because they're fucking dumb, it's not that bad. And you just have to worry about the fact that they take a lot of damage, but in most cases you'll have enough healing magic and healing spells and camping stuff to counteract that. Nothing in this game is that difficult, but it can be. There are difficulty... Um, there are difficulty modes, I tended to go for the easier options, because of course I did, but I never felt that being underleveled or over leveled killed you too much, but you still wanted to be at a certain level because you never knew when a boss would get you. I would say specifically Dohalim in the third can in the in the third section. He was the hardest boss in the game, other than some of the last ones. There are some special side quests and things you can do. You can go some. You can do some fishing stuff. You can learn about the characters. You can do the affection meter thing because it's it's kind of mandatory in games at this point to have an affection mechanic. Um, but again, I think the story for until the ending really kind of builds the characters together, and it's really nice. Uh, what I do want to also mention is the visuals because I said that the freewheeling combat was one of the major things that I enjoyed. I like the characters too. They're nothing to write home about, but they, they are portrayed very well and what they're trying to do with the characters is very solid, but they also don't take shit from each other in the party. So they're on a mission together and outside of a couple of instances, specifically one that law ends up doing in, um, the fourth area I'm sure people knowing people who've played this know what I'm talking about. He kind of goes off the deep end and does something really fucking dumb in that section, but you quickly forget about it even though it's the one or two times I hate this game's story Um, because the storyline has just been, go here, kill the guy, do the thing, go here, kill the girl, do the thing, go here, kill the guy, do the thing. Maybe, maybe not, but still, Liberating the land, and then the ending happens, and it starts throwing in this stupid shit. But until that point, even into the fifth area outside of that blip in the fourth area, Mohawks are—it's just amazing. The story just flows. There's no magical MacGuffin you're trying to find, though. There are some MacGuffins here and there. It's more about kill they ass, okay? We're going to do that, so kick their fucking ass. You spend five to ten hours in a region, you move on. And each of the regions, this was the thing that really improved because they went to the PS4. They overhauled the visual skill almost to a Final Fantasy level. You know, not quite. It's still more anime-ish than anything else. But this was the first time I felt that Tails, like popped out of the screen And was starting to rival like a Final Fantasy production. It looked amazing. The characters were just popping off the screen with their visual style. Everything seemed to look good. Everything seemed to have a weight to it. And even though I like Berseria, the environments, you know, it was a lower budget game for the franchise. But still, it just looked bleh. Outside of the characters, didn't have much going for it in the visual style. This... Game looked amazing. The main hub towns, specifically Elda Menencia, when you walk into these areas, they look gorgeous. So, Caliglia, whatever, I'll never get that fucking name right. Sislodia's kind of in the dark spots, you don't really get a sense of it. But then, when you get to Elda Menencia and then Ganatharos, they just look so good. One of the dungeons, I think, is the one in cislodia the main dungeon is this castle that just puts a lot of stuff to shame it just looks so good i mean it looks artificial but it just has this like gorgeous aesthetic the characters all look like they should the attacks all look so good so even though the battle system is really freewheeling and awkward the visual flair in this game is so far beyond anything that tales had done previously i hope to keep this up because that was one of the things that struck me when I first saw it was this is like not just one jump this is like two jumps in class for this franchise cuz you know this was starting to feel like uh, you know most JRPGs are lower budget games like east I love east games but they've never struck me as like the top of the line graphics wise so it always feels like they're a generation or two behind but that's because they're lower budget. Tails always kind of felt that way too. This did not look lower budget. This looked really good. It still had the anime aesthetic and some kind of doofy visuals here and there. And stiffness. But it felt amazing to look at. And these areas felt lived in. Which was really nice for a game like this. For my non-Final Fantasy game. You know, Dragon Quest to an extent does that because it's from square as well but not even stuff like star ocean star ocean is like bleh, you know <laughs> tales of a is up there with final fantasy now and i hope they keep it i hope they keep it up that's the thing that i like the most um but for all the improvements and the visuals and the storyline and the characters there's still just that ending just drove me nuts it was bad Um, getting through the game and having to heal my characters every battle because they were fucking dirtbags. It reminded me of um, Final Fantasy VII Remake where their characters, you know, the AI are dumb and they don't really heal themselves very well and you have to kind of micromanage them. It's worse than that. It's worse than that because in this game, like, if you fuck up a little bit, the enemies will take off chunks of your health bar in seconds. And if you're not using and or not using Healer, you're practically fucked, and it doesn't really help. So, as you know, easy as the battles were to understand, to get to come to grips with, and as fun as I was having, micromanaging the AI because they couldn't keep themselves out of danger was dumb. There was a mechanic in um, East 8 which I've always appreciated, where if you're not using a character directly. They take about a tenth, if that, of the damage that a normal attack would do to the user's character. So in essence, you would get like an extra health bar or two if you switch to that character. There is none of that in this game. The AI takes a shitload of damage and you have to micromanage the fuck out of them. So that's the main issue. That's why I use Xi'an primarily because I avoided damage to most of the extent. There was also the skits. They had a visual flair to them, like everything else did. The skits looked better. There was, I mean, there have been full-voiced, you know, full-voiced skits for a while, and it still had um, still images, you know. But instead of the anime aesthetic from most of the Tales franchise, they went for in-game models, which I appreciated. I appreciated the fact that. Along with the visual spectacle, you had the characters looking like they do. You didn't have the pop-up with their character art, you know, and them, you know, flapping their mouth. You had the character model and any, like, alterations you had to your character model in the skit talking with the characters they were still kind of free frame like comic book style but it reminded me a lot of say fantasy star 4 and how they handled the you know the visuals but in a ps4 aesthetic so the so fantasy star 4 would do the comic book visuals but they were on the genesis imagine that old school vibe that old school comic book look Redone in a modern way, but then they overdo it because the game just overdoes it in the ending. I cannot stress this enough, they overuse the skits because, again, you can't have everything in a cutscene. I understand that Teals has gotten into the habit of putting a lot of the storyline and some of the subtext and even some of the character stuff into skits. None of the skits are as stupid as Bianfu in Tales of Berseria, but it also felt that there wasn't as much weight to it because they overdid it. And near the end, when you're trying to get towards the end of the game and you're in the final dungeon and like every battle or every new screen has a new skit, it does kind of get old. Because by that time, I was taking a 9 or a 9.5 game and I'm just turning it into an 8 or an 8, you know, 7.5, you know, if I was to use a number scale, you know. I've started to just, it was meandering, it was getting boring, and I've, it, it did the persona thing. And I know this is a criticism persona gets where they would overanalyze and overtell and over-explain what the character and the player already know. So they would overtell and overshow the the thing rather than just say, "Okay, we don't need this skit, we don't need it. you know. Anytime there was a new plot thread, there's a skit. Anytime there's a new cutscene or a, or a side quest, there's a new skit or two or three. And Tails has kind of cornered the market in terms of needing skits to tell them. That's, it's a fine mechanic, but again, they are optional. But they can drag you down. So, if you don't really want to use the skits, if you don't care, you don't have to. So, in that instance, I'm happy. So, Tales of Arise is a mixed bag for me. Not so much that I can't endorse it fully, because I do. I don't like it as much as Tales of Berseria, because the tone is not as strong, and the character, you know, there's no character here that rivals Velvet. But the characters themselves are still good. Um, the visuals are miles ahead of any Tales game that we've seen since. And one of the things that I responded to that, for the majority, for the majority of the game, they stuck to their guns, and they said, "Okay, we're going to keep this storyline. We're going to keep doing." What we need to do. We're going to tell you what you need to do. We're going to do the crown contest thing. We're going to show you this. We're going to fight this guy. So you always know what you're going to do. You always know what you're going to fight. Until you don't. And then that's the that's the thing that drove me up the wall. But until the ending drove me up the wall. I was hooked in with Tales of Rise. So I would highly endorse this game. To anybody, for sure. But that'll do it for me today. And I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about Somali and the Forced Spirit. A nice, just fun, free-flowing, like, visual spectacle, but it also a nice, gentle story about a, a girl and her giant, so to speak. Um, much like a mushishi would be. It's more about the visual spectacle and the style rather than the story, but it was still a decent story for what they gave you. Uh, Next, I'm kind of shocked that we're actually getting to this very late, but it's our first attempt at Legend of Zelda. And I'm going to start with Legend of Zelda Link to the Past because it's my favorite Zelda game. So I'm going to talk about it. And I'm also going to talk about Zelda randomizers because those are fun. After that, We're getting into September. We're going to talk Paranoia Agent, one of the weirder anime, but certainly a staple of that Adult Swim era, that late night. I was in my 20s, I was watching stuff and recording stuff, and Paranoia Agent came on and scared the shit out of me, but in a cool way. And then after that, I believe it'll be Sonic the Hedgehog, but not Sonic 1, probably not. I haven't decided which Sonic game I'm going to do, but it would make sense to do Sonic 1, 2, and 3. But I might also do Sonic Mania, because Sonic Mania was probably my favorite. I'm torn between Sonic 1, just start at the beginning, Sonic Generations, one of the best modern Sonic games, and then Sonic Mania, which is what Sonic should still be, but isn't. But hey, we'll get to Sonic. Much like we're getting to Legend of Zelda. But that will do it for me today. And I'll see you guys next time. Citizen Strike, signing off.